Welcome to Labor Pains, supported by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am a woman passionate about connecting and helping women and men share their stories of infertility struggles or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy to help support you. My guests will share their painful stories of hurt and heartache to bring you hope and inspiration so you know you are not alone on the journey to have a family to love. There will also be resources to help support you. Thank you for joining us today. I am super excited to welcome my guest today, Sarah. She is a friend of mine, actually more so a friend of my daughter and son-in-law, and that is how I met her. She is, I don't know, I just describe her as a woman that is totally living a life of joy, such an inspiration, positive is what I see from her. You know, we all have our moments, I guess. But what I see from Sarah is just a woman living a life of joy, um, just so positive to everyone around here. So without further ado, welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> sure, sure. First, we could probably go back and like, when did I first meet you? I'm sure it was like at Melanie and Bob's or I have uh, no idea it had to have been <laughs> I mean I've, I've been married to Andreas who is a good friend of Bob's um for god 14 years now so at least probably 14 15 yeah. years ago yeah yeah so yeah Melanie and Bob they've been married since 2011 will be in September mm-hmm. So nine years, and they dated for seven years. Right. So <laughs> she reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that you guys dated that long. Right. So, yeah. So uh, so I'm not sure, yeah, when we actually met, but somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. Um, because the guys were such good friends and such, um, you guys, they had such a great group of friends yes. that, um that was awesome. I do remember um, meeting you probably or remembering this is kind of stuck in my mind that like everybody in the group per se was all expecting all at the same time. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> which was the craziest thing. I'm like, what? And Melanie and Bob, I don't even think they were married. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, come on, Bob. I know. <laughs> you know? No. And I, and I remember we, we all found out within a, like a month or so of each other. <laughs> and we're like, oh, Table Lock Lake was, Lake was a good vacation for all of us. <laughs> Like, cause it was after that, you know? Um, (laughs) so yeah, it was, yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. That, that was crazy. That was really crazy. And I do remember going, uh, talking to Melanie and she was pretty emotional during that time. They might have been married. I don't remember. So when, would had that been? What, how old is your, so Ethan is just turned 11. So 11 years ago. So yeah, it was probably about. Well, it would have been right before, I guess, that they got married. Right. I don't know. So, 
But anyway, I do remember that. I just thought that was the craziest thing. <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole group, everybody's pregnant. I know. And the multiples that came out of that. I know. I'm like, what? I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we'll start with um, I'm gonna let you tell me or uh, tell the audience a little bit about you and your husband. Um dating, you said a little bit about that, you know, um marriage, you know, when that was. You know, and when you decided that you wanted to start a family, you know, some people decide that as they're dating, others kind of decide like, and they talk about a little bit why they're dating, but then some are, you know, okay, let's, let's get started, you know, kind of thing. But tell us a little bit about that. So Andres and I, um, we knew from the beginning we wanted children. Um, We talked a lot about it, about these type of things and how we would raise kids and what our views were when we were dating um, I feel like we were a little bit older when we got married. I had just come out of a six-year relationship throughout college and mm. high school. Um, and he was kind of like this long-term bachelor. He had dated but never had really had a long-term relationship. And so we got, you know, we met as friends. We started dating. Um, about a year later, we got engaged. And a year later, we were married. It was pretty quick because at that point, because mm. at that point, we're older. We've been through some stuff. We know what we want. Um, and so... It was about a year later that we started, and I was very blessed where I did not have any type of infertility problem. Um, it was kind of a, a here we go, one time done. And <laughs> like, what? Lucky you. Yes. Lucky yeah, you. we were very blessed that way. Um, and, you know, we found out we were pregnant, and the rest is history. I mean, you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty quick, like a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. Actually, it was like that for all of our kids. Wow. Yeah. You are blessed. I am blessed. Yep. You are blessed. So any complications? I mean, you got pregnant right away. Any complications through that first pregnancy? None. None at all. And it's oh and it's gosh. crazy because Ethan does have a learning disability, like a pretty significant learning disability. Um, and it's thought, like, but there was no it's thought that what I had with Ellie, which caused her to pass possibly caused him to have that learning disability, but then be, but there was no outward sign that anything was wrong. Like it wasn't on my doctor's radar at all. In fact, I probably would not even have been diagnosed with my um, disorder if I had not gone to a specialist. And so, and so I could have easily had Anna pass away or Anna could have had some kind of uh, learning disability as well, in and but because I was diagnosed and because there was a pretty easy treatment, um, I she's perfectly fine and smart as a whip and no problems. Oh, wow. A little fireball, she yes, is, like her mother. She is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we kind of we talked about that. Oh, we jumped ahead a little bit, but, um, that this perfectly fine. So nothing with Ethan. And then you decided to have a second child mm-hmm. and that you got pregnant right away. Yep. Pregnancy was good. Yep. Um, and then kind of talk us through what, what happened. I mean, so like I said, the pregnancies were pretty similar. Um, I feel like I had nothing else to compare it to for Ethan everything at the time was fine at that time we didn't know he had a delay because he was still pretty little he was like you know two and a half mm-hmm. and um you know ellie wasn't a very active baby just like ethan but also i feel like with the second pregnancy you're busier you know you ha- you're ch- you're oh. chasing after another one and at that time my work had changed and my teaching 
assignment had abruptly changed and I was not happy and I was busting my ass at work and not happy. And I just didn't really, it's not that I didn't pay attention to the pregnancy and I was doing everything right, but I didn't notice that. I guess I was so concerned with the checklist of things to get done before she was there that I didn't notice she wasn't as active, I guess. Um, cause my mind was elsewhere and, um, sure. I went in for my 36 week appointment, thought everything was going to be fine. Uh, I got there and I, I distinctly remember this. I sat down and they're taking your blood pressure and they ask how the baby's moving. And the nurse was like, so how's baby moving today? And I'm like, I paused and I'm like, you know, Ooh. I didn't really remember feeling her today, you know? And like I said, like I had, but I didn't worry because I'm like, Ethan wasn't very active. I've been totally crazy at work, not thinking, you know what I mean? Just on my feet, whatever. And I'm like, oh, uh, I haven't really felt her, but she's like, oh, it's probably fine, you know? So they send me back and Andres was not with me. I told him mm-hmm. distinctly to stay home because this, I wanted him home with the baby and me to save his days. And they took me back and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And even then, I feel like my mind was protecting me because my doctor didn't freak out. He's like, well, let's drink some juice. Let's get your feet up. I'm going to get you into the other ultrasound room. And he was calm as a cu- like cucumber. Like, did not freak. Like, game face on. And it, so he, he checked me. I was a little dilated, which is normal for me because I, I usually go a little early anyway. And he sent me to make my next appointment to buy some time, and which I, I know that now, you know. And so sure, as I was making my sure. next appointment, I heard him and this other, I'm assuming it was like a student nurse talking behind me. And they were talking very softly. And I knew they were talking about me. I knew Oof. it. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I knew that it was about me. And at that point, I started to tear up on my go. And I remember looking at this card, making the appointment, going, something's not right. And so they took me back, and they just they confirmed what they already knew, and they just had to tell me. Um, you know, I was hysterical, as any person would be, sure. like completely shocked. Uh, totally understandable. Um, and I the mean... nursing staff was amazing. They called me down. They took me through a back exit so I wouldn't have to walk to the waiting room, hysterical, to get home. They tried to call a family member to come pick me up, but they couldn't get anybody. Um, and eventually, I it's almost like I said, you kind of go into shock. And I pull it together, and I'm like, I have to get home. Like, I'm like, one thing at a time. I have to get to the car. I have to start my car. I have to call Andreas. I have to get my son from daycare. Like you start kind of like just to get through it. Um, And then the next morning um, I was scheduled to be induced, but I'm very blessed that I went naturally. And it was a very, very short labor. And the staff was amazing. I pushed maybe for 20 minutes. And the only reason it took that long to push is because I was hysterical. Like I couldn't calm myself down from crying to focus on pushing Otherwise, she probably would have been born in, within five minutes. Um, and then, you know, you deliver and then you say goodbye. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I have had miscarriages. I did have a brother that um, died at birth. 
but I don't remember. I was so young. So I can't even imagine even that whole process. Um, I don't think I ever told you this, um, but I had a really good friend that her daughter and her, whose name is Sarah as well, like about a month after you lost Ellie, she lost her little Mm -hmm. boy and pretty much, you know, the same thing, you know, she didn't feel him, but she was, she knew she didn't feel him and, and then Mm -hmm. he was gone. And I'm just like, not have had experienced that, you know, with anyone. And then it was like you, and then just really experiencing that through Melanie, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then another friend, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, just feeling myself, feeling the pain that I had, I can only imagine, just imagine the pain. It's, you know, you know, I eventually I ended up going to counseling to help me get through it. I went to a support group and my counselor said something very profound to me. She's like, you know, Sarah, you've been through three traumatic events all within a short period. The traumatic events mm. of finding the, out the loss of your child by yourself without your husband. The traumatic event of giving birth to a stillborn baby. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the traumatic event of burying that baby. And I had never mm-hmm. thought about that, but those are three distinctly traumatic events that you go through in a very short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and some people um, never get over those traumatic events, which is sad. <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is. So I want to go back a little bit. So, or, or not really back, but to ask, talk some more about that. So how was your, and, and, you know, with talking with other couples, the relationship of the couples after any type of loss or even struggling with infertility, what was your relationship? You and Andreas. Well, you know, Dre and I have this amazing marriage. <laughs> uh, awesome. And I'm so, when when I was going through the grieving process, I was very vocal about what I needed. Um, and I n- knew myself and I, and when I needed, I asked for it. And a lot of people can't do that or they don't know what to ask for. And I was very used to having this husband who was vocal and outspoken and kind of the same thing. He's used to asking in our marriage what we needed, you know, what he needs from me. And he retreated, not necessarily Mm. from me, but he retreated from Ellie. And in those first weeks, obviously he cried and showed his emotion, but then he kind of shut the door on that. And he did not want to talk about Ellie. I, and he kind of went into this like protecting mode and he wanted to fix everything and he wanted to take care of Ethan and myself like his job was to run everything for me while I was just falling apart or trying to heal and there was a point there for a few months where I'm like well why aren't you crying what can I do and he's just like I don't want to talk about it he goes she's dead like it makes me sad what is there to talk about and and finally, I don't know, maybe six months or so after 
um, her death, he, there was a moment where he just broke down, like, like crying, Mm. like the ugly cry, what I saw in the delivery room or what I saw at the funeral or the days after the funeral, you know, when it was really raw. And I, and I went to him Mm -hmm. and I'm like, honey, talk to me. And I go, is this about Eleni? He's like, yes. And he, he basically said, I lost my daughter too. And he goes, people kind of forget that because one, I think men aren't inclined to talk about their emotions, you know, as much, um, like in his group of friends, maybe, you know, even though Andres was normally very vocal. Um, and then two, I think everybody was so concerned about me because I'm the one that went to the birth. I'm the mom. I'm the one that carried her. And he just felt like he did not get that grieving or that support that he needed from his friends. And I would, I would totally agree with that. So he felt like probably too that, and maybe he felt this from others, like it's over. You need to move on, you know, don't grieve anymore. I need to be strong. I need to protect, you know, all of that I think goes through um, a man's life or through their head as through this, during this life trauma. Um, but it's interesting because I have two, which I'm thankful for. I have two men scheduled to mm-hmm. be on the podcast in the future that will set, tell their side. And I think just what you said, I think people don't realize that both go through the loss. I would completely agree with that. You know, and if he would like to talk about that sometime, I don't know if he would, I would be more than willing and would love to hear um, his thoughts. And you could even do it, you know, side by side together. But I think people do need to hear their side. Um, And I know just from my own my own personal with with miscarriages, how my husband was through that, you know the emotions, the hurt, um, and the same with Bob and Melanie, Mm -hmm. you know, that they're like, we can't, we can't have any more children. We can't do this emotionally. It was just as hard on Bob as every miscarriage. And I think it's important that people know and that we tell people, don't forget about, yes, for sure, surround yourself around that woman, but don't forget the other person. I think there's another piece of that, too, is that as a woman or mm-hmm. a husband, you need to really focus on your on yourselves as a couple and, and be aware oh, of absolutely. that. And, and where I felt like, you know, like, I think I... I did try to, but I was also so upset myself and trying to work on myself and still be a good mom for Ethan that, you know, in that priority list, Andres was at the bottom, even though I did try, but I will say that was kind of this eye opening moment where I'm like, okay, like game on. Like I now maybe myself is at the bottom of the priority list for right now. And then from then on, we've been really done a really good navigating that part of us as a couple grieving her and healing together in the same direction, even now, eight years later, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So do you think um, through that, I mean, obviously you've already said you guys had a really, really good relationship, a strong relationship. Did that make your relationship stronger, I would think, in in some ways? I mean, yeah, I I know we have each other's back in every possible way. And because you've been through some tough, tough shit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That truly sucks. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, and I mean, this is a different topic, but we have, we have kind of fall out from that. We have a son with a significant delay from this. That's a kind of a, in a way it's kind of this daily reminder of how, I mean, how it ties into Ellie and that whole situation. And that will be with us forever because we have to support our son. So talk more about that, how you, that, and how do you parent how do you continue to parent after you've lost a child? I mean, that had to have been very difficult. Yeah, you just have to be very mindful because you, you know, everything in life, there's things you do that are healthy and not. And there is definitely healthy grieving. And you have to be aware when you have a younger one that you're trying to parent after a loss. Delay or no delay or whatever, right? Young, old you have to be aware of that child and that child's needs too. And so we were very aware of Ethan and how he was trying to project what was going on um, and just really talk to him. And, you know, we found that with Ethan in terms of the loss, cause he's two and a half. He doesn't under- really understand a baby is a very abstract thing. Um, at that time, mm-hmm. we had a hard time finding resources for Ethan. There were shit ton of resources for us as a couple or individuals, but as a family mm-hmm. and explaining loss to little ones, it was more difficult. So we were just very mindful sure. of how we talked to him. And, and we, you know, we couldn't turn off the tears completely. We had to grieve. But, you know, he, I'll be honest, Ethan kind of saved my life. And I feel very sorry for women who go through a loss and they don't have another child at home. Because it was Ethan that got me up in the morning this little boy needed me. <laughs> sure. Sure. Forced you to probably, and, and I, don't, I don't like the word move on, but function. Function maybe. and also not just the function because you can function and do a shitty job like barely making it, well, right? That's true. <laughs> so sure. what, yeah, that's what true. I, I think for me, what it was, was that I knew he needed a whole happy mom and I worked Mm -hmm. and I knew I had to put the work in for myself to do that. And that's exactly what I did. And I also did not want Ellie. I wanted to honor Ellie and her legacy. I didn't want her looking down from heaven going, what the fuck mom, what are you doing? Yeah. You are not enjoying all of life's beautiful gifts that I did not get to enjoy. Get your shit together. I want her to be proud of me for how I, my new normal, my new life after her. And part of that is being a good mom to Ethan and to Anna. Yeah. Yeah. So you said Ethan has a delay. So that's something that um, happened because in the same reason that you lost Ellie. So Talk about so, that. So, and bit. that's a that's a theory, I guess. I thought, you know, nothing's completely okay. Okay. yeah, but it's okay. Um, so 
I have this disorder, this antibody disorder, which I could not even pronounce it or spell it for you at this point eight years later. But um, the doctors called it rare, but documented. My regular OB did had no idea. It was like, wouldn't even have tested me for it, you know? And so the idea is Mm -hmm. that in your third, it's a third trimester induced disorder and your placenta for a lack of a better word kind of dies and you start to lose blood flow and it starts to kind of clot clot up but you can't really see it unless you're looking for it um (laughs) on an ultrasound you know and so the idea is that she didn't maybe get the nutrition she needed and that's why she died well the idea is that well if ethan had that and he made it maybe some of these this delay or whatnot is because he didn't get what he needed from me and logically makes that sense makes sense right. to me yeah medically yes. yeah like you said it's it's your theory but to me right. i agree with you logically that that makes totally sense. makes sense because you know just there's no special education issues in our family you know, a lot of times you see a special ed parent and maybe it's like, you know, like apple tree kind of thing. Um, sometimes sure. not. I'm not saying in general, just, you know, and like, you know, I, yeah, it's just like, you know, you look and you kind of look for a reason why. Because I did everything right when I was pregnant. You know, I was just smoking crack. I was, sure. you know, I, was, I don't know, I <laughs> drinking. drinking. I, I did everything by the book. I didn't. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And then with Anna, there was, um, I gave myself Lovenox shots twice a day in the belly and okay, she is right on gray level, no delays, completely different. And Ethan's wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but academic, academically, oh, yeah. he struggles, you know? So. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and we, and we just, you know, it's interesting to me, and this is maybe a little off the subject, but that the medical field and even like, you know, with, with Melanie, you know, we only test and we only do what we need to, yes. to, to move forward. And I was always and probably like, why didn't you guys know that? Like, why didn't all these tests be run ahead of time before, you know, to prevent this, you know, but they just don't, you know, and I guess it would be, the bills would be astronomical if they ran every test that they, every possibility. And because there are so many things that are rare, yeah, you know, like, you know, in their case, it was a 1% chance that a couple would have what they have. And so, with you, you just said this right. is rare, and so how do you? How do you, it's difficult to to understand um, why they the medical field can't catch it, but there are so many things you know. that are rare, and you have to be careful not to misplace your grief and your anger on the doctors for that. You know, because oh, I point. remember when mm-hmm. I was diagnosed um, with this. I was so fucking, I had a moment. I was so fucking pissed. And, and when were you done? Um, early on, I would say end of my first trimester, beginning of my second trimester. With, yes. with Anna? Be- okay. okay. Yes. So afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Well, and again, month. I got pregnant okay. very quickly. And even like 
like I said, like after I delivered Ellie and had gone back to my regular OB, who's amazing, by the way, he, he was like, mm-hmm. I, he goes, I don't, he even said, I don't see anything. There was no complications that we are aware of. There's nothing in your history. He goes, you can go see a specialist if you, if that makes you feel better. But I think you'd be, you could also be fine not seeing a specialist. And I almost did not go see a specialist. Mm. And then at the last second, I changed my mind. Well, and I, and I could totally understand that because you already had one child, you know, so his, I would think his thinking was you could be fine because yeah. you've and done at this that before. Time, there was, we, at that time too, Ethan was not diagnosed with a delay either. So like, we right. just thought he was just doing his thing, you know? Okay. So with Anna, then it was, it was, it was just diagnosed and determined Mm -hmm. early, you said. And how did, how did they do that? They just, because they were, they, they, because of the loss, they did a lot. They just drew, I don't even know how much blood. (laughs) They just drew blood. And then I don't know how my beautiful specialist diagnosed it, but he, he came up with it and he made a pretty compelling case to Dr. Holson about it. And they put me on the blood thinners. And then I had to be checked. Um, I was, you know, a little bit more high risk. I had to be checked. There were some times I was seeing, I was at the hospital two times, as I led up to my third trimester anyway, um, like twice a week. (laughs) Um, And sometimes I would not only have like my non-stress test, but, oh God, what's it called? The bio profile test. But then I would, but then I would also have to see Dr. Holcomb over in Missouri. And then I would also have to see Dr. Holson. It was, it was a lot. Well, well worth, worth it. it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, well worth it. <clears throat> so, so how, why did you decide, um, did, was that part of you felt your grieving was to get pregnant again I, right away? You, you had already said that Ethan was kind of part of your life saving, you know, your, your reason, um, mm-hmm. because of him to, 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 uh, I don't want to say that the, this isn't the right terminology, mm-hmm. grieve quickly, <laughs> you know? Um, but then you decided to right away have another, you know, time. and again, I, this is just, I, for me personally, this was just something in my spirit and in my soul. Like I, Mm-hmm. I knew that once we were feeling better that I wanted to try again. And at that time, the doctor had made sure. no indication that anything was wrong with that, that I would, he would fully expect me to conceive and have no problem. And yeah, because we know that right. already happens very quickly and for you. <laughs> he, um, and I mean, literally we would just test the water in May and I, I, I was feeling better, you know? Um, and, or, Mm -hmm. you know, we were in a better spot, you know? Um, and it just, it kind of one of those things, it happened, it happened like, like we tried once and they got pregnant. And so ready or not, here was coming baby number three. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And do you think that you, because you guys had decided a early on that you, you wanted a family, you know, you wanted several children. So it makes sense that, but there are those women that 
that fear is there. So oh, yeah. they wait, you know, that fear just um, mm-hmm. overcomes them. Like, I can't do this again. What if, you know, the same thing happens again, but you were able to push. Yes. I think that. my fear came, my fear did resurface a lot though when I was diagnosed. Um, and that was a big thing I had to work through and I had to be aware of because Ellie and Anna had the same due dates a year apart. And so, and neither were born. Yeah. And neither were technically born on their due dates, obviously. Um, Anna came early and of course Ellie came early, but you know, like as I was going through the pregnancy and knowing that it wasn't like the first trimester I had to worry about, it was the third trimester and that I had this disorder and then Ethan got diagnosed with this learning disability. And then, and then with every milestone, I was the same when I was 20 weeks with, with Ellie, I was 20 weeks with Anna when I was 36 weeks with Ellie I was Ooh, 36 weeks was... with Anna now how did that I was a fucking was nut like? I, I, I mean I, I say that internally I try I tried really hard to manage it and I managed that through an amazing tribe of friends who supported me and yeah. loved me and listened to me and like what I needed um and then my, my doctors were amazing um, at that point I was not delivering with the specialist. I was delivering with Dr. Holson and he, they were like, when I would go in for these tests every week, especially in that last month, I would just cry because it's like, you're waiting for that yeah. heartbeat every week as you get closer. Yeah. And even though everything was going right and logically my brain was like, okay, things are good. They're testing me. My, your heart is still just a mess. And so you try to balance your the logic with your emotion and there were times that I would cry and then Dr. Holson like there was one time in particular that I was really upset because the baby wasn't moving around very much and she gave me juice <laughs> you know here comes the you know what I mean oh. and like he came down he stopped everything and came down and talked to me while I was there for the for the stress test and just mm-hmm. listened you know um, and so I had a really good support system with my professionals and my, and my friends and my faith life. Like it all kind of worked together to get me through to the delivery. Sure. That's amazing. So with all of that, um, you, you alluded to this already, that you had a great support group mm-hmm. with your friends. How, how did they, you know, and this is mostly for the listeners, how did they support you? Because there could be people out there that are listening that have a friend, you know, or it could be someone that has just gone through a loss. What did you ask for? Who was there? How did you navigate? I think it's important to realize that when you're the support that I received, that none of us had really been through anything like this. And so it was not only uncharted for me, it was also uncharted for my friends. 
And I feel like I had support in general, like most people do when they come around, when you have a loss like this in a traumatic way, you know, I had the meal train, I had cards, I had check-ins, I, my coworkers put together a nice little donation for us to help pay for some hospital costs, those type of things. And those, and I'm not Mm -hmm. knocking those things. Those things were amazing, but those things didn't help me heal. Those are the things that got me through that initial month. You know what I mean? Like of the burial and whatnot and like the physical healing of giving birth. And, um, and eventually those things go away because everybody else kind of moves on with their life as they should. And then you're kind of stuck. The thing that really helped me be supportive. Okay. So, you know, the, I had a great support team and wonderful people in my life. Um, and after, Ellie's passing, I received a lot of the traditional support, you know, the meal train, the cards, the texts, the check-ins, a couple little donations to help cover medical costs and those type of things, you know, some really nice things. But those, and those things are traditional and I'm not discounting them because they are wonderful and it helped. But what really helped me move forward and heal, you know, that was kind of the initial support came mm-hmm. from my closest friends. Um, and those closest friends have continued these things even now eight years out. And I'm just, probably for the rest of my life, they will continue to do these things. If you are, I would say the thing, the things that helped me most besides, you know, those traditional things, you can do those is one, they did not tell me how to grieve and put pressure on me on how I should feel. You know, there's a lot of pressure to move forward and to go back mm-hmm. to work and get over it as fast as you can you know, to be grateful that you already have a child, that you're young and you can have more children. They didn't do that to me. They understood this is my timeline and I needed to do it as long as I was doing it in a healthy way and I was moving forward. Um, The other thing um, that they did was they just listened. You know, a lot of people are quick to give advice and this and that, and they did what I asked. And on the flip side of that, um, I also had to be brave and ask for things. You know, a lot of people don't feel like they should do that. Not me. I'm unfiltered. I'm kind of who I am. I told people what I needed. If I didn't want to go to the baby shower, I didn't go to the baby shower. I didn't try and fake it just because I was supposed to move on and be happy for them. Um, and they supported that. If I, um, if I wanted to go on a walk, and I, and, they, and I said, I don't want to talk about this at all. I just want to hear about what's going on with you, you know, to get my mind off of it. They listened to that. If I said, I just need to cry and be bitchy and complain and not, I don't want you to try and make me feel better. I don't want you to give me advice. They did that. They listened to what I needed. Um, the other thing that people, um, that they did not do that a lot of people kind of in my circle did, and they didn't do this to be mean or malicious. I understand that, but a lot of people are uncomfortable with this type of loss and they don't know what to say. And so they fill up a conversation with stuff to try and make you feel better. Like Mm. God, God has a plan for you. God needed another angel this is probably a blessing in disguise. Like, cause there, everything is well-meaning, you know, well-intended, sure. but those things hurt so bad. And I'm a person of faith and being told that God has a plan for me in that moment does not help me. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Um, and so I think too, instead of trying to fill that awkward silence and try to give advice or even like, I don't know, compare your situation to another person's situation, like, mm-hmm. which I got a lot of that too, like the one-uppers. I don't know what else to call oh, them. Yep. That's what I call them. <laughs> you know, that's what I call yeah, them. Yeah, the one-uppers. <laughs> in an attempt to connect with you, again, not malicious, right? Um, you know, instead to say, I don't know what to say, but I want you to know that I love you and I'm here for you. What do you need? And then don't say it once, like check in with the person, check in, you know, the grieving process is a long time, you know, um, keep them on your heart and on your mind and just always check in with them. And mm-hmm. I, those are the things that helped me truly heal <laughs> in this that's, process. And that's awesome. That's great advice. Okay. And you know, the other thing is, is like, just because God has, this plan with you and you're supposed to trust it doesn't mean you have to be fucking happy about it <laughs> oh no no you do not and there's no right there's no uh, you can question god you can yes. agree with god um those are all okay those are things that are probably you know like you mentioned several times those are those are healthy things to some yeah. extent yes and so yeah, so those are definitely the things that help me the most. Okay. So really the person should listen and ask what you need and not yeah. to give advice. Because you're right, even right. if they have been through something similar, it's always a little different. Yeah. Your everybody's you're different. journey is different. Yeah. Yes. Everybody is different. And there might be somebody who wants to go back to work to get their mind off of it, or Mm -hmm. they don't want to talk about it because, again, everybody's different. And as long as it's healthy and you're moving forward, not on, but forward, I think there's no timetable. It's okay. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So with all of that said, how do you – I know you have – kind of something you do um, with your family to remember Ellie. And I think that's yeah. important for people. I think it's important for people, and you could elaborate on this because you've, you've done this, you've lived this, to remember that child and, and to say their name and to recognize that they were a part of your life and to do things to remember that child. Tell us, tell us how you do that and, and if you agree with that, you know. I think it's so important, you know, just because that child is not here, she is, you are still a mother to that child. From the moment you peed on that stick and it was positive, you envisioned this whole life with this child. Um, and so it's important to remember that. And it's important for my, the child, my living children to know that they have a sister in heaven. Not only does that open up a conversation about heaven and our religion and our beliefs, but it also makes it more real for them because they were so young and Anna wasn't even here, you know, mm-hmm. she came after. And so we do things like, you know, we do lots of small things throughout the year. Like one, she's never off. She's never a taboo topic. Like, like they want to know something to tell them, you know, um, 
it doesn't matter what it is. If we go Halloween, like shopping for a Halloween costume, we talk about what do you think Ellie would have been? Or at Christmas time when they get their, every year we have a tradition, they get an ornament. We pick out one together for Ellie. She has a stocking. Um, we have a beautifully hand-drawn picture of Ellie up with everybody else's pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for like kind of the big, you know, milestone or the yearly, you know, her birth, um, we do a birthday tradition. And the kids and I and Andreas, we all sit down and we plan what we think Ellie would have liked as an eight-year-old girl. And then we all pick something and we spend an entire weekend doing these fun things in honor of Ellie as a friend, as a family. And before that happens, so usually on her actual anniversary on the 24th, Andreas and I as a couple, we go and we grieve together as a couple. Whatever is on our hearts for that day, we take the day off work. If it's on a work day, we go to the cemetery because we only visit the cemetery once a year. And we leave flowers and we we grieve together and that looks different every year. Some years we're sad and we come home and we sit on the couch and cuddle. Other years we might go to lunch and have a couple of drinks and talk in general about the year and reflect. Whatever's on our hearts together as a couple moving forward. And then once we get kind of that initial sadness out, then we follow that up with the birthday weekend. So it's more of a positive thing for the kids. Not that it's bad for the kids to see me cry, because they see me cry plenty about Ellie. But mm-hmm. this weekend is more focused on celebrating us and this beautiful life we have here that Ellie is not a part of. So, and it's become this wonderful thing that we love. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Now, there would be, and you, you can maybe address this, there would be people that could say, why do you do that? Like, you shouldn't do that. You know, it just brings back bad memories or whatever. Because I could imagine that people would say that. I don't agree with that. But you kind of addressed it already. She was a huge part of your life. She still is. You know, she's still in all of your heart. Well, and no offense to those people, but, yeah, it brings it up. But it's always going to be brought up every fucking year. There's nothing we can do about it. Nothing. It's going to that anniversary. The second New Year's hits, the month of January sucks in the Heimann household. Internally, like, you know, some years are harder than others. But at the end of the day, it's going to be brought up. And so if it's going to be brought up every year anyway, why don't we turn it into something positive versus just pushing your feelings aside or not acknowledging it. Because I don't think that's healthy either. Absolutely not. You know, that's what I would say to those people. And mind your own business. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. And I just bring that up because I think that happens even sometimes when someone loses a spouse or, or, or whatever, you know, like, why do you continue to talk about that person, you know? But I think it's with all grieving. Like, it's okay to celebrate and remember um, that person. They were a part of your life. You know, we talk about our grandparents that, you know, I remember when, you know, I remember when my 
mom did this, my grandma did this. It's not, to me, in, in my world, it's not any different. Right. Because they were part of your life. And those That's memories, right. those memories should be there, always. So as we conclude, um, there's one area that I kind of like to go back to, and, and then I'm going to let you um, just say whatever you still feel on your heart. But what could have been different or was it good? You kind of talked about this, like the actual time at the hospital when you delivered Ellie. How, how was that? And then preparing for her funeral. Um, Anderson's wonderful. Um, they're affiliated with SHARE, and SHARE is a support group for mothers and well, parents, really, who have um, had issues with infertility, pregnancy loss, miscarriage, infant loss, kind of a gamut of things. And um, they really work well with the maternity ward at Anderson. And they, you know, they kind of help train and talk to their staff about how to deal with a mother who's in that crisis moment of giving birth. And so they, my experience for it being as traumatic as it was, was also the best it could have been because I was at Anderson and their amazing staff. Um, they, I was in a private room. Well, we always get private rooms, but a room that was like offset from everybody else. They didn't move me up to the floor with the mothers who had given birth to recover. I stayed in this room. Um, like, it sounds stupid, but <laughs> I always joke it's like the leper's room. <laughs> but they had, like, a sign on the door indicating that basically a, a loss had happened. And so any person who walked in that room, so let's say a CNA person walked in to change the trash, they didn't say, oh, congratulations on having a baby because you're on mm. the maternity ward. Those type of things. So everybody, even the, the kitchen staff was aware, you know, like, so they knew it was a sensitive issue. Um, and then Cher came in pretty quickly. Um, and there was a different director at the time, but she came in after I gave birth a few hours and introduced Cher. And then later that night, one of the moms, and not everybody feel com- feels comfortable with this, but one of the moms came in and talked to me from the Cher group and shared wow. her experience. And we kind of talked about share and what it was. And, and I, you know, I didn't know at that point if I was even going to do, be part of share and go to the support groups. You know, it was all just like, like, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. I wasn't even ready to address that. Um, but, you know, between all those little things that made a difference in my delivery and my comfort for the best I could be right. at Anderson at that time. And then the follow up with the share per program was amazing there is nothing like talking to another mother who has been through it um and the beautiful thing about share is that a lot of the couples are on different stages of their journey and so you might have mothers who literally just lost their child last week who are there and then you have people who are more veteran and who might be three years out um, who are who can articulate the journey and things they did. So it's amazing to kind of see, especially when you're new, to see where you can be in three years. Because it's really hard to see past the day, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, 
so I, I can't say enough about Cher. Cher was amazing. They and and I would agree with you that um, everything that you know I've learned from them and talked to them, um, I I have not experienced them with my daughters or myself with after miscarriage um, and loss, but just being connected to them. Um, they have an amazing program. And just what you said about, you know, putting a sign on the door, because I understand at other hospitals just what you said happens, that somebody will come in and say congratulations, you know, on the birth, and that's devastating, you know. So I think what they they do there um, to help you, in whatever way they can to respect you, um, the person is amazing, amazing. And so, um, so that's, that's great. So I want to just conclude with, um, you just letting you talk. If there's anything that now had that I have not asked a question of that you would be, um, would like to say to help, someone listening to maybe give them hope, some encouragement, um, something that um, maybe jogs in in your head that we didn't really um, talk about a lot, Um, but just let you talk about anything else and and any hope and encouragement that you can give to someone else that's going through that journey. You know, when you're going through that journey, grief consumes you in every way. In every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, with your relationships. And in the beginning, it's so raw, and you are literally trying to make it through the day. Now you know, not even the day, like the minutes. You're living mm-hmm. minute by minute. Then I would just encourage you to take care of yourself because eventually it will become, if you can make it through that minute, eventually you'll only have to get through the hour. And then you'll have to get through the day and then the week, and then the month, and then the year. And in the beginning, it can you can feel so, I don't know, overwhelmed. Just take care of yourself because you will make it through, and you can have a life of joy again. I have a beautiful life, beautiful life. I'm happy all the time. Like you said, I, I try to be positive. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not fake. Like, you can have this beautiful life after loss. You have to put in work and you have to take it slow. And the biggest thing is, is it's okay not to fucking be okay. I'll say it again. It is okay not to be okay. Real strength to get through it is admitting you're not okay. It is asking for help. It's doing what's right for you in that moment and not being pressured by other people to do what they think is right. And then accepting help. Like, don't feel bad about that. All those things are going to help make you stronger and finally one day get to the point where you say, okay, today's a good day. I can smile. I can laugh without feeling guilty. And that's what your baby or babies or whoever would want from you. So just hang in there and reach out and use the people around you. That's what I would say. Awesome. Thank you. 
And I, and I think what I've what I've gotten from this is you can have joy along with the grief. You can. You know, the grief will always be there. That loss will always be there. But the joy can be there right alongside of that. And I think because you've experienced probably the worst thing anybody has ever gone, will go through is losing a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes the joy even more sweet. Hmm. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's grief and gratefulness kind of all together in one. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. just would like to conclude this by saying thank you, Sarah, so much for this time together. Um, I think that you are going to help so many other women. And that is the main reason for this podcast is really to connect and support others that are going through, have gone through something similar, you know, or, or the same. You know, most of it, the time it's similar. Most time it's not mm-hmm. exactly the same, but very similar. And to just know that people are not alone, I think is the biggest thing. You are not alone, and it is not your fault for what happens, you know. Um, well, and, I, and that there are I people to support. Yep. And I thank you for remembering Ellie and our family and, Thinking of me to kind of share my story, anytime I can share my story and I feel like I can help, even if it's one person that's honoring her, um, and I just really appreciate that. Sure. You're amazing. Like I said, <laughs> you're a woman of joy, and I think that's huge for people to see. Thank you again, Sarah, so much for sharing your story of the loss of Ellie. To give hope and encouragement to all of our listeners here. If you have found value in listening to this podcast, please subscribe and give a review. But most importantly, share this with a person you know that it can help. If you are interested in connecting with myself or Sarah, Please connect on Facebook through Women Connect and Support or by sending me an email at Teresa and it's T E R E S A dot Women Connect twenty nineteen at gmail dot com. Also, Sarah mentioned an organization that helped her tremendously after the delivery of Ellie called the SHARE organization and their website if you need to get in in contact with them is nationalshare.org and all of this information will be in the show notes and as always I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey and we are here to connect and give you support through this most difficult time of your life.